This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, steeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. Hi, everyone. Welcome to HRT. I'm your host, Bethany Adams. I love HRT, but truth be told, I am still a coffee drinker. All right. On today's episode, we are going to be exploring employee wellness with the amazing founders of Worker Being. Yes, prepare yourself for plenty of being puns throughout today's episode. Worker Being is a blog, podcast, and consulting team founded by two industrial and organizational psychologists, Patricia Grabarik and Katina Sawyer. Worker Being applies research and science to help you build happy and healthy work lives for your teams, your organizations, and yourself. They always have something buzzing around their hive. Yeah, I know. I can't stop the puns. And they are just amazing, wonderful women to get to know. Patricia is from California originally and graduated with her bachelor's in psychology from UCLA. She attended Penn State for her PhD in IO, which is actually where she met Katina. And during her graduate degree, Patricia found many interesting topics in I.O., but her passion became preventing stress in the workplace. She has become obsessed with how companies can make positive work environments for their people to thrive in. She currently works in consulting and also teaches at the University of Southern California. And Katina, who many of our listeners may know, is a Villanova undergrad alum, Go Nova, She has a bachelor's degree in psychology and also her PhD in IO from Penn State. She is passionate about workplace inclusivity. She spent several years teaching and researching in the Villanova HRD program. She sadly left the HRD family in 2018, but it was for an amazing opportunity at George Washington University where she is now. And we were sad to lose her, but we are excited for the amazing things that she is doing at GW and with Worker Being. So I started off our interview asking Patricia and Katina how their company got started. So Worker Being started, really it was, Katina and I were together in New York for a friend's wedding and we were complaining about things, you know, as friends do, right? We were venting about stuff and we were talking about, it kind of just all came to this place where we were talking about how workplace wellness research is not being utilized properly in organizations. I was talking about all these clients that I had that have all these other issues that are kind of outside the purview of the type of consulting I was doing at the time. And, you know, I would point them at research. I would tell them things that I knew and try to help them out that way, but they just never had really good access to information around how do you handle these types of workplace wellness issues, whether it's something like diversity inclusion, whether it's stress in the workplace, work-life balance, et cetera. And Katina was talking about how she does all this amazing research, which Yes, it's hilarious that she thought she was not going to end up being a researcher because everyone (laughs) around her knew. Um, (laughs) But all of her good work wasn't being used. It gets stuck in this academic journal trap where there's a paywall or you have to have some sort of library access to get to it. 
and so much time to read and digest. Right? Yeah. Yes. And yes. like training to be able to understand what it even says, which exactly. is not helpful. Right. And so basically, because we were seeing the frustration from two different perspectives, we were like, well, we can do something about this. And Worker Being was born that night. It was not called Worker Being. At the time, we called it Patina because we decided that was our couple, celebrity couple name. (laughs) (laughs) We did. (laughs) I'm glad that it came to be. Although I am glad that you didn't name it your celebrity couple name because you would probably really confuse people who are already confused about some of the research out there. So Worker Being is (laughs) the perfect name for what your project is and what you're working on right now. So, you know, Patricia, you mentioned that you were seeing a lot of people kind of not use research or not kind of have access to research or maybe not doing what the research suggests in some of these spaces like stress and well-being and diversity and inclusion. So one of my questions is actually, what are some of the key learnings that you've seen from research that you feel we're getting wrong in organizations or maybe that we're not kind of utilizing um, the practices in the best way? What do you guys think? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, there's so, there's so many different areas. Like if you go, obviously, if you see our website and the different research topics, there's hundreds of different topics. But I think that the biggest misconception I mean, hiring is important and bringing in the right people is important and making sure they fit into your culture is important. But once they're there, they have to feel included. They have to feel supported. They have to feel safe psychologically, right? Psychological safety is a really important concept around, you know, being able to feel like you can speak up and, you know, express your opinions or ideas and, you know, also say something if something's not going well. And that is really important. Those types of things are important and people kind of forget that. It's almost like they focus in on, we have to bring in the person to fit here and don't always reflect back to think what is here and what can we do here to make a difference. Some people that are not doing that introspection of their organization and figuring out why there's a turnover problem. So a lot of what I'm doing, I'm dealing with a lot of companies that have turnover issues and why are people turning over and they're not always reflecting on the right things. So culture is really important. Having those safe spaces, having leaders that are supportive and open to other people and also flexibility. We know flexibility and autonomy in the workplace is important. Having some job security, all those different things that everybody wants in a job are very critical. And people don't always think about those basic things that don't cost a lot of money to get your managers to be supportive of others, right? Train them, educate them, let them know that their leadership is important and making these safe spaces and safe environments is critical. And I think that we focus in on wellness programs that are buzzy. We see a lot of buzz around like offering yoga at work, which is great. And that's fun. And, you know, it can have a lot of benefits, right? We know that physical activity, all those things are important, but the simple solutions really matter more. If you offer yoga, but you have no support at work, Mm -hmm. that's not going to help the problem. So I think that there's this misconception that we need to focus on wellness in terms of the way people think about the wellness space right now, like all the products that exist in wellness and aren't thinking about the simple things to make a structure and a culture and an environment where people feel comfortable. You're right. We do get really caught up in the buzzy things that we can do like yoga and mindfulness practices and bringing our pets to work. But we, and we focus a lot on hiring, right? Did I hire the right people? But we're not looking internally as to what are the small things we can do to make 
employees feel more supported just in their everyday work environment. Katina, what else would you add to that? I think to that point, just building on that, people forget, I think, that organizations are basically just a bunch of people working together to achieve a goal or a bunch of sub-goals. And so I think that if you think about any other relationship that you have in your life, whether it's a friendship or any other kind of relationship, even just an acquaintance or a family member, right? You wouldn't spend all this time with that person and never ask them, how are things going? I mean, maybe you would, but you'd be a terrible friend or you'd be a terrible family member, right? Like, but like when you are in other kinds of relationships, you spend time asking questions. How are things going? How's life? How are you feeling? All these different things. And I think at work, people get really bogged down with the task portion of it. And we have this sort of like narrative in society that personal things are not supposed to come into the workplace. And obviously inappropriate things shouldn't come into the workplace but appropriate levels of relationship building are really important. And so, you know, if you're a manager and you can't tell me five things that make the people that each person that works for you really excited in life, you haven't done a good job at getting to know the people that work for you, which means that when you have something that you want them to do, or you're trying to craft a vision that's going to be exciting, all you're going to do is spit back what you would find motivating or what you think is a good vision to get people excited. And you're not going to be able to tailor your message in a way that makes sense or resonates with people. So I think people just forget, like going back to that like basic building block of, you know, in any other relationship in life, you wouldn't be closed off and expect that things are going to progress and trust is going to build and you're going to be able to, you know, create something meaningful. Like, but at work for some reason, we just think that that's how things are going to happen. And we're just human beings at work. We're not any different. Yeah. It's such a good point. Patricia, you hit on all of these kind of aspects of well-being and worker well-being. You know, there's so much right now in the space that you can, and organizations can think about, right? Stress and wellness, sleep management, health, and just health insurance and kind of that realm of well-being and then scheduling and flexibility and diversity and inclusion, all of that. From a consulting standpoint, how do you go about advising beyond just the small, simple things we just talked about? If an organization saying, oh, what can we do? Where would you even start with kind of all of this? I mentioned management training or leadership training. I think that's always a good place to start is you want to get the leaders of an organization bought in to the type of change you're making, right? And then once they buy into it, then they can trickle that down. They can champion that. And of course, then at some point you're going to be bringing the employees into these conversations. So again, like I, I hate harping on the same point, but I think something like psychological safety, creating a psychologically safe work environment is the first building block before you need to bother with anything else. So if you're having issues with communication within the workplace, if you're having issues with abusive supervisory relationships, if you're having problems with lack of inclusion, all of those things can be helped by creating this safe space where people can speak openly, can communicate, can support each other. So helping your leaders understand how to create that space, I think is step one. So you first create that, help them understand how to do it, then they have to start trying to do it. And then you want to bring in the employees too and teach them how can they also continue to build that culture. Because 
you know, leaders can do only so much and but how people treat each other within the teams are, is also important. Again, leaders set the example. They put away their phones. They don't answer emails after a certain time and show that it's okay for you to disconnect in the evening. So they set the example, then you bring the employees into it. Yeah, I love that. You know, I, I think that too often we try and jump in and, and just fix a problem with some new program and kind of starting with that that space and that culture that we're creating within our organization as the first step and then making sure your managers are actually bought into it because if they don't buy in it doesn't matter what program you throw at them because they're not going to create the environment that allows for that psychological safety for people to feel open to share those ideas and express how they're feeling so katina question for you i am curious kind of going back to the idea that there's all these different things that we could do, how, from a strategic standpoint, how do we think about kind of well-being as being a part of a strategic initiative within an organization? How do we tie it? Because, you know, there's a lot of leaders who say, all right, it's fine, but we still have to get these tasks done. You were just talking about this. We focus so much on the tasks that we have to get done and they tie that to our bottom line. How do we tie in well-being and worker well-being into our bottom line so that we can be more strategically focused about it? Yeah, I think that the way to really think about it is like you're helping your employees build a bank that they can draw on when you need them. And so if you have employees that are constantly running on empty, and you ask them to do that next thing, you're not gonna be able to push people beyond a certain point. So they're gonna burn out, they're gonna complain, they're not gonna do it, they're gonna do deviant behavior, like all this different stuff that we know. So actually the more busy and the more you put on people, if you're not replenishing those stores, all that happens is people sort of peter out or you get actively bad stuff. So it can almost backfire on you if you keep pushing people to a limit without replenishing those resources. And there are lots of different ways that you can replenish the resources as we've been talking about. And it doesn't need to be even like a strategic initiative within the workplace where you're instituting these like specific programs right away, but just like a basic level of wellness. There's this company that I know somebody who worked for who was on the very beginning of like a wellness related journey, but their biggest problem was employee burnout. And one of the first things they decided to do was a wellness fair. And at the wellness fair, they took people's blood pressure. And at that wellness fair, the very first thing they ever did to address wellness, which was like kind of a wonky thing to like start with, they had to take three people to the hospital because their blood pressure was so high that they were like, you're literally on the cusp of like having a heart attack. Like something is going bad is going to happen to you. And they realized, yeah. And so they realized like, oh my God, we have people sitting in our workforce every day who are so stressed and so overworked and so unhealthy that like they need to go to the hospital. Like an hour ago, they were entering stuff into an Excel sheet and now they're at the hospital. So obviously that's an extreme example, but it's one of those things where like that person is not going to be, it's not a sustainable resource unless you're taking steps to sustain it. And so it may not be an immediate investment. But the long-term investment comes out that companies that take care of their employees are replenishing that bank. So you just get more out of that bank. And also I think, you know, if you can do that in a way that's not like, hey, you know why I'm being nice to you? Because tomorrow it's going to make me some money. If you can actually do it from a place that is driven by values and like valuing human dignity, that's really what gives companies the long-term fuel to have people that want to work there, stay there, Etc. So you don't just feel like this commodity, like, hey, I need you to do work for me tomorrow. So like, 
don't have a heart attack, you know, <laughs> like, but that's the only reason I care <laughs> that you don't have a heart attack is just because I need you to do stuff. That's not really a sustainable mentality. So there's like multiple sustainable ways of treating employees, but I think it's all about like refilling that tank. I was just going to say, you're not going to get people to buy into the long-term goal and purpose of the organization if you're treating them like that commodity, right? And not thinking about their overall well-being. Exactly. Yeah. I think from business leaders, it's important to stress. I mean, again, the bottom line is what people think about a lot. And obviously we don't want it to come from that place, but understanding that if people are healthier, if they're more well, they are more productive whether or not you're pushing them to do a new thing, they're just more productive overall. Their performance is better, they're more productive, and they're also less likely to leave. And turnover is so expensive. A lot of people just don't even think about the price of turnover outside of HR. We know HR people generally know how much it costs, but you have to remind leaders, if somebody leaves, now you're gonna have a gap in time where somebody's not working, so you're losing productivity there. Then you have to go through the process of hiring, which costs money and time and effort. You're going to be interviewing or be involved in all that. So now you're spending energy on that. And then you have to train that person. You have to have to speed. There's all these steps that come into one person leaving and it's really expensive and it takes away from productivity. And so if you are going to be pushing people to leave or they're horribly unhealthy and they have to leave for medical reasons or any of that, you're then going to be losing a lot of productivity and time in a way that can have a, a really negative impact on the company. So just knowing that there's all these different factors that come into play, you know, replenishing your employees so they can then do the tasks, but also cost savings so they don't leave to begin with. Yeah, that's right. And if, you know, we spend all that time, money, and energy on the front end, thinking about hiring the right people and getting them into the right jobs, if we're not doing everything that we can to make sure that they're at their most productive selves, we're not even getting kind of our value in who they are and who, what they can contribute to the organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. So last question for both of you, and I, I'm not quite sure where this question will take us, but kind of thinking about some of the programs that exist in well-being in the well-being space. Um, there's actually some good articles right now on your blog and your last podcast episode I, I thought was fun on pets in the workplace. And there's the four-day work week that you guys just posted, which is quite the buzz right now. But I'm curious what you see as like the next frontier of worker well-being. Like what research is happening right now in the space that we don't yet know about or we're not yet buzzing about? Did you like my buzzing bees? I, yes. I mean, all they're all very good. Okay. Um, but what, what are we not yet buzzing about that we will be buzzing about um, here in the next year that you think about in the space? So from my perspective, I mean, I think we're going to, we still have a long way to go when it comes to actually making flexible work environments in the U.S. So that's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going anywhere. I think there's still a lot that we're finding more and more evidence supporting that, you know, the four day work week, for example, right. It's really about flexible work environments, fewer hours, things like that. But one area that I think is becoming a little bit like I'm seeing some, some people that we know are doing some research. It's interesting. And I think might be kind of a, a next phase in terms of wellness and, and things like inclusion and gender equity is around women's experience at work. So there's research, new research and new thought pieces on, you know, what does it mean to be a woman in the workplace where you go through all these female bodily functions, right? We have motherhood, we've got things like breastfeeding that we have to deal with and 
menopause and menstruation and all of these kind of taboo topics, but they're happening all the time, every day at work. And we don't know a lot about what that experience looks like and how that impacts women and what organizations can do to help be more supportive in those situations. So I think that that might be the next, the next place to go, right, in terms of both diversity, inclusion, and wellness overall. I love that. Um, we actually were having a conversation in our office space just the other day about, you know, all of these like women life things happen and you say them in the office and it's like, oh God, don't talk about birthing. <laughs> oh God, don't talk about menopause. Don't talk about these things, but it's life, right? And that's just who we are, but we still come to work and we're still productive. So yeah, it's definitely, I, I love that it's going to be kind of a new frontier for us thinking about wellness and just supporting being humans, right? Katina, what else? Yeah, I think that, you know, an underlying theme of of that is moving towards thinking more progressively about how we can value people's lived experiences and recognize our own blind spots in that area. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot also within the diversity and inclusion space, just because I think that's a really burgeoning space, as Patricia also highlighted, is that I think that a lot of companies try to do diversity and inclusion initiatives overlaid on top of a corporate culture that's fairly exploitative to employees. So sometimes when I'm like doing DNI work, people are like, well, that's cool. You know, I'm glad that, you know, we're doing these DNI initiatives, but could we talk about the fact that nobody cares that I make $7 an hour and I can't pay my bills and I need to work three jobs? That's the next, I think, frontier is not just thinking about how do we create inclusive environments, but how do we create equitable, fair, healthy environments from a living wage perspective and a benefits perspective? And there are some interesting companies that are working on that right now. There's like this really interesting pizza place called And Pizza, like an ampersand pizza hmm. uh, that's working on living wage models for every employee that works there along with benefits programs and trying to show that the, the way the company works doesn't produce a negative culture and then you have to put icing on it to try to tame it down. Instead, the way things work should, diversity and inclusion and all this wellness stuff should be a byproduct of the way things work. It shouldn't be like what the system produces is bad and we've got to fix it with this other stuff. It's so much more productive to make the system produce what you want instead of having it produce something you don't want and then trying to fix it later. So I think that that's kind of the next sphere of what people are going to be thinking about is how do we create systems that actually produce these kinds of climates and cultures as opposed to trying to band-aid them afterwards. Oh, I love that. Although I do think that we will always, or at least for a long time, be working on the band-aids backwards because we already exist in a system that is imperfect. Totally. Until, unless you have the ability to start from scratch and kind of build a culture that has all of these pieces built into it, you're always going to be working backwards. And yeah, and, you know, it's not a bad place to be, though, because the organizations that are starting from scratch are going to teach the ones who are working backwards what things are missing and where they need to go back, like infiltrate their infrastructure to change kind of their overall culture. Yeah, agreed. I'm looking forward to seeing how that happens, if that happens. All right. I hope this episode has left you buzzing and has given you some ideas to help take the sting out of work. 
Yep, I know. I can't stop with the puns. I'd encourage all of our listeners to check out the Worker Being blog, podcast, and other amazing resources over on their website. They are actually hosting their very first ever Worker Being retreat in April, right here in Philadelphia, where they will bring together individuals looking to take some time away from their everyday life to goal set and explore ways to live a more happy and healthy lifestyle, both personally and professionally. You can check out the Villanova HRD blog for all the links and notes from today's episode. And remember, whatever you are drinking, whether it's coffee, tea, or something a little bit stronger, I hope it leads you to fresh brewed ideas that will help make work better for all of us. Cheers! Thank you for listening to this episode of HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, Share with us what you are brewing using the hashtag HRT. That's hashtag H-R-T-E-A. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about Villanova University's graduate programs in human resource development and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at villanovahrd.com.